Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. You know, always important to keep up with what is coming up in the church as far as our seasons, what do they mean? Coming up this month, month of February, uh, is Lent. Lent is going to be starting February 22nd. I believe that's the right date. It's Wednesday. Um, <clears throat> and we have to, yeah, uh, yeah, with Ash Wednesday, February 22nd, the start of Lent. I'm just double checking my numbers here. What does that mean for us as Catholics? What does it mean for us this year? And what can we do about it? More than anything else, what does that mean for our spiritual health, our mental health, and our physical health? Well, let's get started here at the top of the noon hour with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke, and we humbly pray, and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, folks. It's interesting, the, the season of Lent, it's coming up, and of course we know, it's always about preparation, right? So when we have Advent, we're preparing for Christmas. We have Lent coming up, and we're preparing for Easter. You, growing up, Lent to me was torture. All it meant was we weren't going to get meat on Fridays for sure, and whatever Lenten sacrifice I made as a kid for myself, it was going to be multiplied tenfold by my mother, one way or another. If I decided, oh, I'm going to give up candy, well, guess what? It wasn't enough. We weren't going to have, you know, our house went dead. It was There was a pall. Uh, there was no TV. There were no video games. There was no uh, playing around much. It was all about prayer. And everything had to be a sacrifice. One of the things, and looking back, I, I understand the, the situation. I think it was great to have that spirit of sacrifice. Um, but one of the things I would say is that's the way people thought it had to be, you know, extreme uh, sacrifice, very uh, um, almost painful to the soul, which there is a little bit of pain in sacrifice. But what I would recommend is this if you're getting to the point where you're sacrificing to sacrifice, and we forget that we're making a sacrifice to get closer to God, we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, what are we doing? 
because if all of a sudden I'm making all these sacrifices, I'm going to go extreme. I'm going to not just fast on Fridays, but I'm going to fast every day. And I'm going to uh, make sure that I cut all contacts with most people. And I'm just going to go into this hermitage and I'm going to, you know, get to this extreme point where, boy, I, I'm getting, I know I'm doing a good sacrifice because I feel miserable and I'm making others miserable around me. That's not very Christ-like. That's not going to get us to where we need to be. The sacrifice has to be much more personal. It has to be on the level of, this is between me and God. Why do I say that? Because we start making choices and we forget that we can affect the people around us. I just had a conversation about this with one of my patients. It wasn't exactly Lent, but it made me think about this. This is what brought up the topic for me. One of my patients was coming up to me and telling me that they didn't want to take their medication. They suffered, from, well, let's back up a little bit. This is a gentleman in his 30s. Uh, he suffers from depression, a little bit of anxiety, but mostly depression. And he, I would say he's functioning depressed. You've heard of probably functioning alcoholics and things like that. This gentleman's functioning depressed, meaning that for the most part, most people will say he's just a mellow guy or they realize he's a little bit melancholy or well, I'm sure we've got friends who are a little bit more on the uh, downside of the emotions, a little bit. Uh, some people who feel that they're, there's a term used to call emo, very emotive, um, feel things very deeply is what they will say. And they function kind of at a, at a low depressed level, but they're getting their work done. They're getting to work on time. They're uh, not breaking up relationships or anything like that. In fact, they can have friends, but they're just functioning depressed. That's what this gentleman was is is like, really. And the, when he came to me for treatment, it was because he actually wasn't doing so well at the time. Now he's much better. He took some medication and he was better on his medication. And he, he realized that. And then we got to the point where he said, you know, I don't know that I need the medication anymore. And we said, OK, fine. So we weaned him off of the medication. And everything was fine and dandy from everything he was telling me. But as of late, he started telling me that, you know, he knows that he can function. He knows he's functioning at a depressed level, but he knows that he could probably do better when he's on medication because he's been on it before. He's done better. And I asked him, OK, well, what do you mean by that? Or why don't we just get you started on medication if you feel like you can do better on it? And he said, no, 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 I don't want to. And so why not? And he said, uh, I I kind of enjoy being on a low a little bit. He actually enjoyed it. You know, it was he feels it's part of his personality, and it is. I can see how, even if he's on medication, he's a little bit on the lower side of things. But this was the challenge, and this is where I told him, you want to consider that maybe you will do better on the medication, even if you kind of enjoy this low mode of yours. The reason he enjoyed being a little bit on the depressed side, even though he's functioning, remember, he doesn't feel like hurting himself. There's nothing there's nothing illegal about being depressed and I can't force treatment on anybody. But he enjoyed this because he said that he realized that he was a little bit his term was snarkier with people around him. So maybe he had a little bit of attitude. Maybe he had a little bit of a, an edge to him. Uh, he's a little sarcastic. He said he might even make snide remarks to people. But he felt he could get away with it because people wouldn't tell him anything because they realized that he was just kind of low and they didn't want to engage him. And, you know, mood wise, he was on, on a lower bent, uh, you know, a little bit. Uh, um, I mean, I guess the term is depressed, but it's not, it's not clinical depression. He was just kind of feeling a little bit darker, if you will. But he liked getting away with with being a little snarky, making remarks. He kind of started feeling a joy in that. And I told him, you know, there's a danger in that because you're that's off because it's going to be off putting to people. You're going to lose relationships. But he said, yeah, but I kind of enjoy it. And so we started talking about 
well, what does this mean? You know, what, what's, what are we doing here? What are you coming for treatment for? And as we started walking down that path, he realized, yeah, you're right. If I'm coming for treatment is to get better and to be my best. And even though I'm enjoying this a little bit, I'm not enjoying it for the right reasons. We were able to get to that point with him uh, where he said, this isn't right. It's, there, there is something enjoyable about, um, you know, making that joke or making that snide comment and getting the room to laugh at the expense of somebody else. This happens. You know, I'm sure we've seen it happen, whether it be on TV, on a sitcom or in real life. Uh, but he started to realize, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. So he got back on his medication or we're starting to get back on medication. And I think he's going to do better and he's not going to have that. But it made me think about Lent coming up, you know, Lent's preparation for Easter. But do we ever prepare for Lent? Because all of a sudden we think, oh, yeah, Lent's going to start and my life's going to be revolutionized because I'm going to do all these different things. I'm going to do all these penances and I'm going to keep up with it. And boy, you know, I'm going to be the holiest person on Easter. And then Easter comes around and I don't know that I feel that much holier all the time. But the interesting thing is this. When I do make my Lenten sacrifices or as I'm going through Lent, or if I'm doing a really good examination of conscience and I'm looking at what's wrong inside of me or what I need to improve in my relationship with Christ, my relationship with God, how am I, am I doing this at the expense of others? Am I hanging out in this area where I'm like, oh, it's okay for me to be in a bad mood. It's okay for me to be a little snarky. It's okay for me to not be kind to others because I am fasting and fasting doesn't feel good. And I'm really fighting the hunger and I'm really, you know, doing all these things. Uh, and boy, I'm going to, um, you know, people are going to have to understand that. Well, are we going to be understanding of others if they're in the same position? You know, everybody around us is going to be fasting. Everybody around us is going to be uh, making sacrifices. And if they're snarky with us, are we going to say that's okay? So one of the things with Lent coming up is, as we're looking at our spiritual health, because that's what we focus on, let's look at our mental health as well. You know, we shouldn't sacrifice to the point where we're depressing ourselves or we're in an anxiety where we're making life miserable around us. That's not that's not the, uh, the point of Lent, of sacrifice. And really what it comes down to is then I really didn't achieve a good goal. You know, in getting closer to our Lord, my sacrifice should be maybe putting up with others with what I think are faults of other people with a smile. And having a, a joyful presence about myself, maybe that's going to be a sacrifice because maybe I'm not always very good at that. And I don't know how to uh, make bring other people up. I'm so focused on myself all the time. It's an interesting dynamic. We want to focus on ourselves to say, well, let me do a good examination of conscience. Let me see where my sins lie. Let me see what I've done wrong. Let me see if I can move forward in a positive way um, with myself and stop and leave all those sinful things behind, all those attractive sins that I'm holding on to. Let's see if I can remove all that from my life. But while I'm doing that, am I realizing that Christ called me to love my neighbor? Am I loving my neighbor? I think that that's one of the bigger sacrifices we can find because all of a sudden, you know, I've got to get along with people might not be easy when I walk into a room do I acknowledge everybody else there do I recognize people that as children of God even if I find it difficult to get along with some people it's going to be challenging sometimes right so where am I in my journey of Lent we're going to talk about that when we come back from the break we're going to look at what are some things that we can do um, especially with our mental health that's going to help improve our spiritual health uh, as we go into this Lenten season, what are some of the goals that we can start thinking about even now? How do I prepare for Lent as I'm preparing for Easter? 
uh, it's a big shock to the system to say, yeah, I'm going to live it up on Fat Tuesday and then all of a sudden, Ash Wednesday, all sacrifice. Well, it might not be the best way to go. More after the break. But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. That's from Hosea chapter 12, verse 6. Let's read that again. But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. Hosea chapter 12, verse 6. Very powerful. I love that for Lent. Because really, what is Lent? What is it that we are doing during Lent? What is it that we are coming to during Lent? We're returning to God. But as we return to your God, notice this. Notice what this says. Because we love in our society, we love quick quick results right you order something online boy they're trying to see if they can get it to you in two hours they're trying to you know if i have to wait a day for a package to arrive that's awful you know do we remember back in the days when you ordered something and it would it would come to us six weeks was quick you know sometimes it would say it would be delivered in three months whatever it was we used to have to wait for things and nowadays it's a matter of i want to buy this here's my credit card i want to order something online we'll get it to you same day or next day. I want to do this. Immediate results. We, we, we're all about immediate gratification. This is important here. But you must return to your God. Maintain love and justice. There's got to be a steadiness. Here's probably the, the most important part of this Bible verse. And wait for your God always. The word wait. As I'm returning to God, one of the things is this. We can we turn away from God. We, we become like the prodigal son. We sin. We decide, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna pay attention to things. We know we do this. We block ourselves off spiritually because we've decided that our way is more important for that moment. Uh, we decided that what is officially sin might not be sin for us at that time, even though we're wrong because it's always gonna be sinful. But we decide, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna engage in this a little bit, whatever it may be. Uh, and uh, yeah, if all of a sudden things start going bad, uh, I want to turn to God and I want this fixed right away. Dr. Sandoval, I've got this problem. I've been uh, watching pornography and I don't know how to get rid of it. And I want it to stop and I want it to stop now. So yeah, but you've been doing this for two years and you want it to stop overnight? We forget that there is a process. This is why it's important to prepare. Always be in preparation. Let's prepare for Lent. There's going to be a process. You can't all of a sudden show up Ash Wednesday and decide I'm Catholic that day. No, Lent gives us that process to get to Easter but we've got to make up our minds. We've got to decide when I get to Lent, when Lent starts, when I start this journey, the sacrifice, what's it going to look like? I'm not going to be a saint overnight. And this is the most important part. Am I ready to wait? This is what's going to try our patience. Patience is a virtue that we, that we need to work on. And we might need to start working on it before we get to Lent. You know, am I patiently waiting in traffic? Am I patiently waiting, letting somebody who needs to come into my, my lane change lanes over and get into my into my lane. Wait for God always. God is there. God's going to transform us. But God's also going to test us. He's going to say, well, you've been gone for a little while. Are you ready? Or is your heart ready to come in and meet me? Is your heart ready to be holy? Brings me an interesting story of a different patient. Um, this is a little bit more traumatic, a little bit of a harsher story. Uh, so just be aware as, as we talk about this. This is a lady in her 40s. And she came to me because she had had a history of abuse at the hands of her dad, probably for about seven years. Let's say, let's say from the time she was about seven years old till about she was 14. 
Uh, she was sexually abused uh, at home. It was happening. She believes her mom was aware. She doesn't know all the details. She believes her mom was aware. Uh, it finally stopped at 14 because she got into high school. She became more independent and she was able to get away from the situation in different ways. She was still living at home with them, but she was able to, uh, you know, say she had homework. She started making herself get involved in sports and things like that. So she wasn't at home as much. And then by the time she got home, you know, her dad also drank. So by the time she got home, she said her dad would have already been drinking and uh, he was passed out or she could get away from the situation in her own way, more or less. Now remember, this is what's ha this is happening from the age of seven to 14. All of a sudden, fast forward, she's in her 40s and she's Catholic. She knows uh, what the commandments are. She knows that we have to forgive, that Jesus said to forgive and to love our enemies. And she wanted to do this because she decided, you know what? I've been carrying a whole lot of weight of hatred of remorse, of anger. Um, you know, this happened to me all the time. I'd get home from the time I was seven. At seven years old, I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was just, you know, my dad loving me because your parents teach you that only your doctor and your parents can can uh, help you look at your body or whatnot and, you know, that your body is very private. You have that conversation all the time. Uh, but in this case, she said, you know, I, somehow I knew something was wrong and as I kept getting older, I knew it was wrong, but what was I supposed to do? And I had a feeling my mom knew, and I felt like I couldn't even tell her because it just felt like she wasn't going to stop it. So, you know, this this patient had a whole lot of reason to have anger, resentment, frustration. You know, it's a big violation of our bodies, our minds, our souls. And so she's getting to the point in her life as she's getting older. She sees her own children. And she says, you know, I don't believe that my own kids have ever suffered uh, from this. I don't believe that they have ever uh, had any issues with abuse, at least definitely not at my hands and not that I know of at the hands of uh, my husband. And she said, we've had a good life, but I've carried this around with me and I've never even told it. I've never even told my husband about it. Um, and I'm at the point in my life where I realize, you know, my father's older, he's dying. And I'm at the point in my life where I realize I need to be able to let this go. I need to be able to say, hey, um, what's going on here and and i don't want to carry this burden anymore it's, it's a very heavy burden there's not a day goes by i don't think about this and i want it gone let's do this so one of the challenges is we were talking about this one i i told her it was a big deal for her to even bring it up you know if you're going to go to therapy if you've experienced anything like this and you're going to go to therapy or you're going to talk to somebody about it it's a very big deal to bring it up it's a, it's a big deal to lay it out all on the table one of the challenges, though, is that once you do, or for her, I should speak about her case in particular, once she was able to share this with me, she wanted it gone. She said, I've been carrying it for so long, I want it fixed right now. And I told her, you know, here's here's the, the challenging part. I thank you for sharing this with me. I think it's wonderful that you brought it to my attention. I think it's wonderful that you want to work on it. Forgiveness is going to be the key for sure for healing in this case, and it's not going to be easy to do. And now that you brought it up, I need to remind you, you've been suffering for many, many years, almost 50 years that you've been dealing. Well, I should let me take that back. It's almost it's about 30 years or so that you've been uh, dealing with this, about 33 years that you've been dealing with uh, this abuse, with this challenge. And all of a sudden um, you bring it up in one day and you want to relieve yourself of this burden. I told her it's not going to happen overnight. It can I can't fix it today. And that was upsetting to her. She was she was uh, 
she kind of was upset with me and she didn't realize that because I, I told her you seem upset and she kept saying no she was in denial of that she couldn't handle the the reality of that emotion at that time but i told her you know it's not going to get fixed today she was hoping that in an hour therapy session we would talk about it she brought it up and it would go away and when i told her that she was frustrated she was upset she was like well i already went through this whole process she said of of even saying this to you of even you know bringing it up i don't tell anybody about this it's a very big deal and now that i've done this um you're telling me that you can't help me and i said no 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 no. that's not what i'm saying you know you got to be careful what people are going to hear i told her that's not what i'm saying at all what i'm saying is you've been through this for a long time because you've had this pain chronically over a long period of time it's been affecting your mind your soul the whole situation and now you want to forgive and I said, but this has been going on for a long time. It's not going to happen overnight. Forgiveness does not happen overnight. It just doesn't happen that way. There's no, uh, there's no way that I can guarantee you that all of a sudden you're going to come in one day and it's going to be okay. Really, because what you're asking for, if you're, if you're telling me that, you know, all this happened to me for a long time. I've been carrying this for a long time. I wanted to go away in a day or in one hour therapy session. Then what you're really saying is I want this to just be okay now. One, we're going to have to walk through this a little bit. This is the part of that Bible verse from Hosea, wait for your God always. Now that you brought this out in the open, now we got to be patient. And now we got to wait. But it's been going on for so long. I know. I know it's been going on for so long. That's why the quicker when it comes to abuse or anything like that, the quicker we can get therapy, the quicker we can get to address the issue, the better it's going to be for the outcome and the quicker we can heal. But it's been going on for a long time. And by quick, I mean, it doesn't mean in that moment. Even if it started, you know, if the abuse happened last week, um, yeah, when we're talking about it now, that's great. But it could take months before we start to see some improvement, right? This has been going on for years. I told her it might be a lifelong process to find healing. I don't know. I can't guarantee. I don't, I'm not telling you for sure it's going to take the rest of your life to do this. But we need to take a look at a few things. You brought this up today. You know, it opened, you opened up your heart. You opened up your emotions. And I realized, one, if somebody ever does come to you and tells you something deep about themselves or something heavy about themselves, realize that they're in a vulnerable state. This is part of why she was angry. She realized she made herself vulnerable. She doesn't share this with people. It's part of her personality that feel, she feels is a weakness, something bad happened. And now she shared this, so she's vulnerable and she wants it to go away. She doesn't want to be vulnerable anymore. She wants to be what we consider strong. Well, we got to realize there's a lot of strength in vulnerability. And what she didn't, what she doesn't see that I'm seeing is that, wow, that's pretty powerful. And you are actually very strong for being able to say that she sees weakness in that moment. And that's why she wants it to go away. So when I addressed that to her, I told her, you know, one of the things is that you're feeling very vulnerable right now and very open, naked with your emotions, if you will. And so you want to get covered back up and you want to be, um, you know, you want to be safe. You want to be shielded. And I said, and, you know, that's wonderful. I'm not judging you. I'm not saying anything bad happened because we're, we're going to have to go through these emotions. We're going to have to go through the guilt. We're going to have to go through, do you feel guilty that maybe you provoked this? Do you feel it? Which is not the case, but, you know, these are the feelings that somebody who's a, who's been victimized, especially sexually traumatized uh, against their will, might start to feel. What did I do to provoke this? How is it my fault? You know, we start walking down this process. And I tell her, one, we're going to have to deal with those emotions. Two, we're going to have to deal with, are you forgiving your father? Do you see him as a person? What do you think of him now? You know, we have to, there's going to be a whole process of this. 
It's not to say that you're not going to start to feel better. And it's not to say that you're, that, uh, uh, you're going to be able to forgive him in, in the way that you imagine that to be, because this is where it gets challenging. We have a vision of what it means to forgive. And when we say, forgive and forget, I want to. If I process this abuse that happened to me in my life, then no problem. I'm going to be whole again. I'm going to feel like myself again before the abuse. And everything's going to be great because that's what forgiveness brings. Forgiveness brings peace. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's ever going to be okay what happened. It doesn't mean that it's going to be erased. But it does mean that we're going to have to wait for God always. And this is where the element of faith comes in. Am I willing to... Once I process this and talk about this, realize there's going to be more pain. There's going to be tears. It's going to be frustrating. But I'm going to allow God to liberate me, whatever that looks like in the eyes of God. Will I have to go and confront my abuser? Maybe, maybe not. Every situation is different. And I wouldn't say, oh, this is the way you always do it. I would say, let's look at each situation individually. Am I going to have to go and um, go to confession about anything? Maybe, maybe not, because as we're going through this abuse, we might realize, wow, uh, maybe I did some things in the process of trying to heal that weren't so good. Did I get involved in drugs? Did I get involved in prostitution? Did I get involved in other things? I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying what happened in your life in particular. We make different choices. This is the same with Lent. As we get into Lent and we start looking at how can I improve my spirituality, we got to remember it's going to be a process. There's going to be a process where I'm not going to be a saint overnight. I'm going to have to look at what have I done and how can I start to improve that little by little? How can I get closer to God spiritually? Is it going to hurt? Perhaps. But am I willing to walk that journey? Is my relationship with Jesus Christ worth More after the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we're talking about Lent, preparing for Lent, and using Lent as a true preparation to heal our relationship with God, to improve our spiritual life. And we're looking at a few stories of patients um, because we got to realize that if we're going to heal our spiritual life, we got to look at where our mental life is as well, our physical life, what the where the healing comes in. Uh, before the break, we were talking about... <clears throat> How do I forgive, especially a long history of abuse? I was talking about a patient in particular who had unfortunately suffered abuse at the hands of her father when she was a young lady. But there's a whole lot of different abuse out there that we suffer. What if all of a sudden you're married and you realize that you're suffering abuse at the hands of your spouse? Or you're elderly and you're suffering abuse at the hands of your children? Or there's just you're you're at work and there's abusive coworkers because they're a little bit more manipulative, a little bit sly. They make little comments at you or harassing you in different ways. There's all different kinds of abuse. How do I heal that? How do I forgive that? Usually doesn't happen overnight. We have to learn to be patient and we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to walk that journey? Am I willing to focus on Christ? And do I have enough faith to realize that our Lord will take care of us? And our Lord will heal every situation. Listen to this Bible verse, Isaiah chapter 30, uh, verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to your to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Again, that image of waiting. We got it. Patience is going to be a big deal. I feel that, especially in today's society, things are moving so fast. I don't even like reading the news anymore because everybody's talking bad about each other. Uh, everybody's trying to attack each other. It doesn't seem like anything's going on. <clears throat> and everything happens now. 
you know, this is happening today, tomorrow this happens, and there's shootings and all these things. You know, it's just happening so fast. I think that the world needs to just kind of take a moment to stop. I think we need to take a moment to stop and just focus on God and wait for our Lord to come in and heal our situation. Listen to this one. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Do we believe that? I think that if we just focus on that during Lent, listen to that again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Do we believe that the Lord will heal us? Do we believe that the Lord will bring us uh, prosperity uh, not harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. I think that's one of the biggest things too when it comes to Lent, when it comes to our spiritual life. You know, here we go through trauma, we go to a therapist and we say, what's going on? Help me heal, help me forgive people. That's what I experience as a therapist. People come to me for that. Do we trust and do we see Christ as a therapist, but not just a therapist here on earth, a spiritual therapist who can actually make change. You know, I, as a therapist, I can give you advice. I can prescribe your medication. But I can't change your life. I can help give you perspective so that you can change your life. I can help give you advice so that you can maybe take it and decide you're going to make changes to your own life. But notice that it really comes up to that person. What is it that they want to do about their life? They got to make a choice. It's the same with Christ. When we go to Christ, we got to make that decision. Do I want to trust in Christ or not? The difference is this. Christ can truly change our life if we work with him. If we if we're there, God's going to work with us. He's not just, he's going to give us the advice. He's going to give us the spiritual medication. We need to fortify ourselves, but he's also going to be affecting change in our life. He himself is going to bring his hand down and change our lives. Do we believe that? Do we believe that once I turn to Christ, as sinful as I might be, if I'm humble enough to present my darkness, my, my deepest, darkest sins to Christ, do I believe, and am I humble enough to believe that Christ is not going to condemn me where he says, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Do I believe that Christ is not? I think a lot of times we're afraid. We're afraid that if we present our sins to God, God's going to condemn us. And that's not the case. That's never what he wants. He's saying, I want to heal you. I think that if we believe that, the hand of God will come into our lives and we're going to see change that we weren't expecting. And we're going to realize, I had nothing to do with that. My life improved and I, it was all God. It was God putting things in place for my journey all I had to do was make the choice to follow him and to follow his lead. I think that that's truly what's going to happen at Easter if we have a good Lenten preparation. I think if we start turning to God, if we start humbling ourselves, regardless of the abuse that we've gone through, we're going to find true healing. Let's look at this. These are verses from Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to God, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Again, this is a beautiful Bible verse. These are coming from the Old Testament. You know, it's funny when we think of the Old Testament. We think of this God who punishes. We think of this God who brings, you know, the flood, who drives Adam and Eve out from the garden. You know, we see him as this angry God. And that's not the case. Adam and Eve drove themselves out from the garden. They made decisions. 
same way we've made decisions. We've made decisions if we feel far away from God, if we feel that things have happened to us, that we can't be near God or that our sins are so great. we got to take a step back and remember, this is the God of the Old Testament. Let's read that one again. I think this one's powerful. Again, this is from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. That's what we're doing during Lent, is it not? Rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, turn your heart, not just uh, your garments, not just your outward appearance. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, back in the day they used to do ash and sackcloths and whatnot to show how sorry they were. And God is saying, I'm not worried about that. Where is your heart? Is your heart turning towards me? Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. And here's the key. This is what I got to believe. Slow to anger and abounding in love. Am I ready to see that? Slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Calamity meaning a downfall or something bad in our lives. God's holding back from that. This is the God of the Old Testament. This is important to consider and to remember as we're going through this. Because, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to take these steps. It's not easy to look back on our lives and uh, realize that a lot of what we're suffering from we might not have brought on to ourselves. The last story was about a story uh, of, a, of a gal who was victimized, a lady who was victimized by her dad. She didn't ask for that. And now she's carrying this burden of abuse, of wanting to forgive. It's going to take time. But as we're carrying the burden of our sins, it's going to take time to turn away from those too. It's going to take time for us to say, hey, I got to stop doing that. It might not happen today, but guess what? I'm going to wean off. Maybe today I'm going to do a little bit less. Maybe if I'm used to sinning five times a day, maybe I'm going to go down to four. Maybe I'm going to go down to three. My goal is to get closer to God. I'm, I'm walking on that journey. I might not be where I want to be, but I'm walking on that journey. If I think hatefully about my father or about that coworker or about my sibling who abuses me or who treats me poorly, gosh, am I thinking about it five times a day? Maybe today I'm only going to think about it four times a day. In fact, maybe today I'm going to schedule a balance. I'm going to say I'm only going to think about it four times a day, but I'm going to take one time a day to think about something good for them. Or I'm going to take a little bit of time a day to pray for them, even though I'm still thinking bad things about them. It might be a little bit of a weaning. We're always looking for that quick, I want to change today. And that's great if it can happen. Hey, that'd be wonderful. But even if you look at the lives of the saints, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. It happens by overcoming challenges. It happens by overcoming um, uh, people still being mean to us and us trying to love them, even even while they're mean to us, even while they are uh, treating us poorly. Let's look at this, book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Notice in the Old Testament, there's a whole lot of waiting for God. Why is it that we're waiting for God? And even to this day, we're, we're always waiting for God. The Old Testament, what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the promise of the Messiah. I'm waiting for God. I'm wait, waiting for, for God, my Savior. I'm waiting for Jesus Christ is really what we're saying. During our Lenten season, as we come up to it, what am I waiting for? I'm waiting for Easter. I'm waiting for the resurrection. I'm waiting for Jesus to come back from the dead. And guess what? Those 40 days, they're going to be 40 days of me dying to myself. They're going to be 40 days of me being a little bit dead to the things that I know I shouldn't have in my life. Process that so that I can get to God. I'm waiting for God, my Savior. I'm waiting for myself to be away from sin as well. Look at Psalm 25, verse 4. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Well, that's interesting because a lot of times in life, listen, this one's important. Let's look back at this one. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. 
One thing that I would ask is what path are we on? Whose path are we on? At the end of our path, at the end of our journey, am I reaching the Lord? I know that when I take my kids to the park, there's a little path we have to walk through and they love that little path. They love walking through this little path. Why? Because it leads to the playground and they know what they're going to get to at the end of that path. We're going down this little walkway and it's a pretty little walkway, you know, with manicured grass and it's got flowers on it. And you walk down this little path and all of a sudden at the end, it opens up into this area where there's a whole playground and it's beautiful. As soon as my kids see that path, they get very happy because they know what's at the end of the path, right? A lot of times we think we're on this journey, but we forget the journey is to somewhere. Yeah, the journey sometimes is the destination itself too. Part of it is being on this journey. We're walking together uh, and heaven is going to be an eternal journey and that's great. But right now while we're on earth, is our path leading to heaven? Is it our path leading to that playground of heaven that we're looking for uh, where we're going to be happy? Teach me your paths. And there's more than one. Notice this plural, teach me your paths is from the Psalms. Sometimes we think there's just one path. There's many paths to the Lord. The Lord opens doors closes doors, and we just need to trust and we need to follow that he is in that journey. Well, it's important because it brings up another case. There was a case of a gal who was, uh, well, she came to me because she was suffering from drug addiction. And she was suffering from, she had, she was mostly alcoholic, I would say. That was her, her big name was alcohol. Um, but she'd done a whole lot of different drugs in her life. She did cocaine, she did methamphetamine, she did all these different things in her life. And so she says, you know, I'm going through this journey. I'm alcoholic. Uh, I, I don't want to drink anymore. And I'm really upset with my parents. And again, it comes down to the parents, right? This is where I always tell families, you know, parents, we forget how important our lives are. We forget how important uh, we got to remember that our lives are, are super important uh, as far as parents influencing our children and having a direct effect on our children. Now, this case is a little bit more dramatic than most. Um, you know, where the parents really impact our children. But we got to remember that, and this would be a good Lenten thing for us to think about as parents, how I love my children, even when they're not being loving, is going to make a big impact in their lives, and it's going to change their lives, maybe not in that moment, but in the future. A lot of times as parents, we're planting a whole lot of seeds, and we're not going to see the fruit until our children are older. It's hard to wait for that, but again, we're going to talk more about this after the break. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. And today, we're talking about Lent. We're talking about preparing for Lent, but we're talking about how it's not easy. You know, sometimes we forget, we focus so much on how we're going to sacrifice or what we're going to sacrifice. We need to remember, what is it that we're sacrificing for? Why are we sacrificing? What is the purpose? What is at the end of this journey, at the end of this path that we're going on? What's the point? Um... <clears throat> listen to this. Actually, we already read that one. Listen to this one. So, of course, you know, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it's always a good one uh, in Lent. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's important to consider that. You know, what is it that we're doing here? Are we just trying to improve ourselves? Well, hopefully we are. But really, we're trying to improve ourselves so that we can present ourselves before God, so that we can look holy before God, so that God can see us and recognize us as Christ so that he can see us. Why do I say as Christ? It's not about having an ego, folks. It's not about thinking, oh, we are God ourselves. No, Jesus tells us to be like him, to be humble like him, to look like him, to, to resemble him. That's really what it comes down to. When Christ died on that cross for us as we're going through Lent, what we got to remember is, 
Christ died on that cross. He humbled himself enough to, to die for us, to die on that cross. Why? Because he's going to stand before us and he's going to say, look, God, he's going to tell God the Father, this person kept our commandments. This soul kept the commandments that we gave him. He suffered as well. And I'm cleansing anything that's left imperfect in him with my own blood so that he resembles one of your children. The only child of God is Jesus. And now us, as Jesus brings us in, as we're adopted, as Jesus died for our sins, we if we're going to say that we're children of God, then we better resemble Christ himself as well. And we were saying uh, before the break, I was talking about a story about a young gal who came to me. She was in her 20s uh, and she was suffering from alcoholism, but she had run, done other drugs. And she tells me she was really, really mad at her parents. Now, let me give you a little bit of backstory. She probably got into drugs. She got into alcohol early on in her life, probably in junior high. Uh, and she got into drugs in high school because her boyfriend introduced her to drugs. But she was mad at her parents. And when I asked her, I said, well, hang on a second. Now, your boyfriend introduced you to drugs. Why are you, are you mad at him? And she said, no, I'm actually not mad at him. She said, I'm mad at my parents. I said, why are you mad at your parents? And she said, because they were alcoholic and there was alcohol all over the house. And growing up, um, when they were drinking and, and I'd get home and I could tell that they were either buzzed or drunk or whatnot. She said they were pretty much functioning. But once in a while, you know, when at the end of the day, when they were done with work and they were done picking me up from school, she had a, a sibling as well. She said, you know, they would pick us up. There was it was always very functioning in that they were responsible enough to take care of us during the day. But by evening time, it was all about alcohol and drinking. And she said, when I got to junior high in the evening while they were drinking, I decided to take a drink. Why not? It's what's around. It's what's in front of me. It's what I'm seeing as an example. So I decided, decided to take a drink. So I was about 12 or so. She was about 12. And uh, she said, they didn't stop me. They didn't say, hey, no, you shouldn't do that, even though they were obviously struggling with it. They didn't tell her not to do it. And she said, so I started drinking. And she said, I didn't even like it at first. She tried one of her dad's beers. She said, it, was, it just tasted gross. But I saw that they were doing it. And I saw the effect it had on them. So I forced myself to drink more and more until I started liking it. And she said, and I would just drink whatever was around. And they never said anything. So it became kind of this thing. I, you know, During the day, I'd go to school. And in the evening, all of a sudden, I started joining them drinking. And they didn't stop me. She said, well, I get to high school. And they were still, you know, they were so probably guilty in their own alcoholism that they decided, you know, we can't tell her not to because we're doing it. So she said, I, I got into the wrong crowd. I met other people who were also drinking or who talked about alcohol. She said, there were all different people in high school. There were those kids who... We're like, no, I'm going to be never do drugs and I'm never going to, you know, drink before I'm 21 and all this stuff is bad and I'm not going to drink. OK. And so she said there were those kids, but that wasn't my life. That's not what I knew. In fact, those kids, they, to me, they were weird because they were they were just too holy and they just seemed like they didn't relate to me. They didn't know about my life. And I knew that if I told them about my life, boy, they would shun me and judge me and whatnot. OK. So there was that. She said, and then obviously I met other kids who they had no problem with drinking and drugs and whatnot. So I started hanging out with them and we would drink. And of course there was a group of us. And then I started liking one of the boys and he became my boyfriend. And she said, and we started being intimate and everything, even at a young age, you know, she said, we're in, she said, she's all, I'm in high school now. Uh, you know, so 16, 17. She said, and he started introducing me to drugs. She said, we started smoking marijuana and then somebody else brought some uh, cocaine and we freebase that. And then she said, you know, we did all these different things. Um, and that really led me down a dark path. And, and the darkness, she said, I started doing these drugs and stuff because that's what I knew. So, but I felt really dark inside. I didn't know why it was so dark, but I knew that there was something wrong. Um, 
something dark, but I just kept being in this dark path. I didn't know anything different uh, because I'd go home and my parents would drink and I'd go to school and we'd just do drugs. And that was fun for a while. But what I didn't realize, and this is what she's realizing that she's older and in her 20s. So what I didn't realize is I started going down this path and it was really dark because I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel that love from my parents. And so I was trying to, and at the time, you know, we're, we're talking about this and we're going through this in therapy sessions. And I told her at the time when you were in junior high, you were not aware of what you didn't have. You just knew what you had at home. You didn't realize that your parents were not loving you uh, and were not uh, paying attention to you in the way that they should. All you knew is that's the way at home was. You know, when we're kids, we just imagine all homes are the same as ours, or this is what adults do, or this is what grownups do. You know, all homes are, you know, we talk to our friends and we say, you know, like when your parents do such and such, and all of a sudden you might go and visit a friend's house and you realize, oh, this house is very different than mine. But we don't know that. And we don't get around if we're just at home. We don't know that. So she's junior high, parents are drinking, she's allowed to drink, parents aren't paying attention to her. She doesn't realize that she's not being loved and she doesn't realize that she's not feeling that love from her parents. She, she's accepting whatever love is there. She gets into high school and she's going to join the same. She's going to say, I'm going to, you know, be with other people who are like what I know at home. And isn't that what happens to us? You know, as we're growing up, we're meeting people and we hang out with people who can relate to us, who we feel had a similar upbringing or, or understand what love is the way we understand what love is. So she's doing this and she gets into drugs and the drugs really are substituting. It's a physical substitution for an emotional pain. That's what happens to us. Sometimes that's what happens to us when it comes to sin, when it comes to, you know, where the state and the health of our soul is. Why do we sin? Why do we do these things? This is where I don't want too many people to beat each other, beat themselves up uh, during the Lenten season. Look at your sins. Look at them honestly. But ask yourself, what? why am I doing this? And what can I do to change it? Because a lot of times we start doing things like drugs, like different sins, like different things in our lives that we allow there because we're substituting it or we're treating our emotional pain that one, either we know is there and we, it's too hard to address the issues or two, we not, might not even realize that that's why we're doing it. We might not even realize that we're doing drugs, that we're trying to escape from this world because there's something inside of us that's hurting. And this is helping us to feel better in that sense. You know, this is where Lent comes in. It's a, it's not just a process of sacrificing, but it's a process of healing. The whole point of making all these sacrifices is so that we heal, so that we feel more whole, so that we feel more at ease and at peace. Listen to this uh, reading. Psalms chapter 42, verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? This is important because this is really what it comes down to. If I'm doing all these things to substitute something emotional, to, to um, try to find fill a void in my heart, Really what it comes down to spiritually, if my if I'm sinning, if my soul is not in a good place, there might be a lot of reasons why I'm doing this. But the ultimate truth is <clears throat> I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet with God because that's really where my thirst is. If I start to recognize that my thirst is with God and that that's what's going to fill that void, that's all that's going to matter. A lot of times I hear people, you know, come to us and say, oh, Dr. Sandoval, I know it's demons in my life and, you know, the devil's attacking me and I'm being influenced and they're attacking me, attacking me. And my question is always, well, where is Christ? If they're attacking you, it's because they're not attacking, they're attacking something that's attached to you. They're atta attacking either anger, uh, the sins of abuse, the wounds from the family. They're attacking uh, the sins that we're holding on to, the things that we crave. That's what they're holding on to. That's what they're going to attack. 
where are we in letting all that go? Well, we're not going to be able to let that go if we don't realize, hey, if I let that go, I got to fill that void with something. What am I going to fill it with? If I don't realize that I have to fill it with God and I'm getting closer to God, it's not going to make sense. I might feel for a moment, moment of relief, but those demons are going to come back, whether they be mental demons, real demons, whatever it is you want, we want to call them or whatever they are. Um, <clears throat> if we don't fill that void with Christ, we're always going to be fighting that battle. Let's look at this. This is from the book of Zephaniah, not a common book. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So think about this. This is important. This is a very, very important Bible verse. We need to break this down. When we start going through this, like I said, what am I going to fill this with? And we think about demons. We think about a big battle. We think about feeling overwhelmed. We think about being overcome by darkness. And Lent always seems like a dark time, right? All of a sudden, there's sacrifices. It's like a dark time. And it can be scary because we can feel very, very lonely. But this verse reminds us of something. We need to have faith in this. We need to believe this. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Notice. It doesn't say God is the one who's going to punish you. It doesn't say he's bringing down justice on you. It doesn't say that he's coming down to annihilate you, to send you to hell. It also doesn't say that he's a meek, young, gentle. Sometimes when we picture Christ, we picture just the newborn child, or we see Christ on the crucifix, and we see maybe a sign of weakness. But what we should really be realizing is that that was victorious power. What did Christ have to do? What did he overcome in himself? Think about it. This man is walking the way of the cross, he's getting beat up, and he's humbly accepting these beatings for us. I don't know about you, but if I'm getting beat up like that, at some point I'm going to retaliate, and I'm going to try to defend myself. Christ never even did that. He didn't defend himself. Spiritually, you know, on the outside, people might say, well, that looks like weakness. On the inside, we got to look at what was going through his mind, his heart, his soul, that he was walking through this patiently. That's the mighty warrior. We can't think of the ways of this earth. We got to start thinking, hey, if I'm going to go down this Lenten path, and I'm going to start looking at myself, my mental health. Am I abusing drugs and alcohol? Have I, am I abusing somebody at work? Am I being the bully? Am I being abused by somebody? Was I the victim of abuse? Am I sinning and doing things that I know that I should not be in my life? Am I not cleaning things up in my life? The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. That's how we're going to go into Lent. God is with us. I'm going to go into Lent, but I'm not going to go in alone. I'm going to go into Lent with that path focused on God. And I'm going to remind myself, as this verse does, that God is a mighty warrior. I'm not going in there in weakness. I'm going in there with strength. I picture somebody who's got armor, who's got a weapon, who's going to defend me, who, as I'm going through this Lenten season and I'm vulnerable, and maybe I'm going to be vulnerable to the uh, insults of others or the images of others or demons attacking me or whatever you want to call it, there's going to be the sword of Christ right next to me. And he's going to be the one who saves me. I'm going to go into this with a lot of backup. He will take delight in you. This guy, Jesus is God is protecting us and he is taking delight in, in us. In his love, he will no longer rebuke us. He's not there to punish us, but he will rejoice over us with singing. Singing is the highest form of prayer in heaven. That means that Jesus is going to bring us to the biggest heights, to the highest place in heaven possible. Let's do that. Let's prepare the Lenten season. Let's take our hurt and our pain. Take it to Christ. Walk on this journey of life. Look interiorly so that we can prepare ourselves to be holy among everyone else and in front of the eyes of Christ.